expect a detailed explanation, uh, detailed answers to their questions. Uh, they seem to have been categorized and uh, okay. A lot of questions are on meditation. Then can you please uh, suggest how the five aggregates are brought into vipassana meditation? The entire Mahasatipatthana Sutta talks about how the five aggregates uh, should be brought into meditation. Mindfulness of the body, starting with uh, breathing, posture, uh, clear comprehension, 32 parts of the body, four elements, and uh, nine stages of corpse. All these belong to the first aggregate mindfulness of the body. So each of them we got to take, for instance, the breath. I mentioned breath is a part of the body. Uh, you know, it is already explained, and I had to go over them once again in brief. Mindfulness of breathing, we pay attention to mindfulness of breath to see uh, rising, falling, beginning, middle and end of each breath, the uh, pauses between inhaling and exhaling, and then uh, expanding and contracting of our lungs, then we experience certain uh, pressure, then relief of pressure. I also mentioned uh, the four elements uh, involved in the breathing and uh, see them changing all the time. Changing each and every part of the breath, uh, we got to watch, we got to pay attention and see how they arise, how they pass away. Same pattern we follow with regard to the posture that is walking, sitting, standing. I gave one example of walking. When we walk, how the, the body changes, how the feeling changes, how aggregate, uh, how, uh, aggregate change, how elements change. I gave example. Also I mentioned uh, five of the thirty-two parts of the body, hair on the head, hair on the body, nails, teeth and skin. I took one hair at a time out of this thirty-two part, one hair. I gave her the, the story of King Makadeva. Remember? I just said so many things you may not remember. <coughs> that is the problem with uh, anything. Uh, so, if you heard or listened to what I said and paid attention, you would have understood by now how to use 
all the five aggregates as a part of our as a meditation subject, how we bring it to meditation. Entire thing, everything we use as a par, as a subject of vipassana mindfulness meditation. Uh, all we see is that they all are changing, 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 changing. Nothing is impermanent. Everything is permanently impermanent. And then we see that they all are unsatisfactory. Nothing in this body and mind, in the entire body, that we find satisfactory. Whether our hair or nail or teeth or eyes or ears or nose, or everything is unsatisfactory because they are all impermanent. Our eyes are so useful, so meaningful. We learn so many things through our eyes. Unfortunately, these eyes are impermanent. Chakurogo. Sotarogo, Ganarogo, Jivarogo, Mukarogo, Dantarogo, Kaso, Saso, Pinaso, Dao, Jaro, and so forth. Buddha mentioned many different things that happen to our eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, skin, and so forth. They all are changing, all are subject to sickness, all are subject to aging, all are subject to death. And we can see this process happening every moment, especially when we are healthy. This is a very good meditation to practice. Look at our changes, our impermanence. That's what we, that's how we do meditation on the five aggregates, each of them. Feeling is changing, perception is changing, consciousness is changing, volitional formations or dhamma, mental activities are changing. <coughs> okay? Bhante <laughs> G. It is J-I. My name is Pesel. Bhante and G, capital G. Hmm? Because when I went to the United States, people asked me, how shall we call you? We said that since the word reverend is used, taken by Christians, uh, we want to make it different. So we said, call us venerable. Venerable. So sometimes people ask, vulnerable? <laughs> <laughs> so we change it into Bhante. Nobody knows the meaning, <laughs> just call Bhante. And the last name is a real tongue twister for many people. <laughs> Guna Ratana. Very difficult to pronounce. We, we took the first letter of the last name. So they called me Bhante G. So some people use Indian way, Bhante J I G. <laughs> anyway, is losing the I the full enlightenment? Uh, just the first stage. <coughs> uh, first stage, we uh, understand that the self is uh, is an illusion. 
mind becomes clear uh, that uh, self is not something that exists permanently. But what is called ahankara, I make, continues to exist until we attain the last stage of enlightenment. Even anagami has the notion of I, I maker. This we call ahankara, mamankara. And uh, mana, mana is the last of the, uh, one of the last five fetters to overcome. Uh, Rupa Raga, Rupa Raga, Mana Uddhacca Vijja, these five fetters are overcome by the attainment of the last stage of enlightenment. So, I will disappear only when we attain full enlightenment. <coughs> Another question, could you please give more detailed about how consciousness tricks us. I said uh, consciousness uh, uh, makes us believe that the consciousness, this is very important thing to remember. <coughs> there was a bhikkhu called Sati, Sati, and he thought it is this consciousness that goes from life to life and it is perpetually existing through samsara. Uh, <coughs> and he even uh, uh, told the Buddha when Buddha called him and asked him, is it true that you believe, in the, believe that the same consciousness uh, goes from life to life? And he said, yes, Venerable Sir. That is what you taught us. Then Buddha asked three times, do you really believe? Yes, I believe, because that is what you taught us. Then Buddha asked, where have I taught? On one situation. He could not say where and when. <coughs> then Buddha went on explaining, it is not the same consciousness that goes from life to life. Now, Sati was a one who learned Dhamma from the Buddha's own mouth, right in front of the Buddha. Having listened to his own Dhamma sermons many, many, many times, still he believed that it is the same consciousness that goes from life to life. So Buddha said, I mean, uh, it is this is how it tricks our mind. Uh, whenever you think of uh, rebirth, you think, it, think that this consciousness goes from this life to next life. And Buddha said, uh, because if somebody thinks that this body is permanent, uh, they have uh, some reason to believe that because uh, you see the body every day. 
although there are changes which are very subtle, uh, it takes place very slowly, we don't see the changes very much um, from yesterday to today, uh, this morning to this evening, uh, although the body is changed, we don't see very much changes. And therefore for people to think that, that the body is uh, more permanent, uh, there is uh, apparent reason. But for somebody to think that the consciousness is the same, it is a very, very deluded belief, because consciousness changes much, much faster than the body. But <coughs> because of its speed of change is so high, they think it is not changing. Consciousness is very, very speedy very quick. And when some, one day Buddha said uh, when the consciousness is very quick, very quickly changing, somebody asked, uh, how quickly can you give uh, the speed? Buddha said there is no way to measure the speed of uh, the changing uh, changing speed of consciousness. Then they asked, uh, can you give an example? <coughs> Buddha said, uh, suppose you take a candle and there is a, a spider web, the thread of a spider, cob web, and you take a candle and bring it close to burn it, how long it takes to burn the very one single thread of a spider web? Even before you bring the candle close to it, it disappears. That quickly it burns. So Buddha said, during that time, mind will change hundred thousand times. Millions of thought moments arise and pass away. That is how speedy it is. Since it is changing so quickly, you cannot see its speed. It is like uh, when water is pouring from a pipe down, is it the same water that pours from the beginning to the end all the time? No. So many tiniest little uh, drops connected so closely uh, that they move, we cannot see the separation, but they look like one single cylindrical object coming from the mouth of the, the pipe down. River, another example. He said, mind is changing like Nadi Sotovia. Nadi means uh, the river, Sotha means flowing, just like flowing the river. So the consciousness changes so quickly and therefore it is not easy for anybody to distinguish 
one moment of consciousness and another. And this is why consciousness uh, tricks us to believe that it is permanent because of the speech. <coughs> I think um, what is are the other three are the three good roots renunciation or non greed. Mm-hmm. Metta or non-hatred, clarity or non-delusion of the same force as greed, anger, and delusion. Ah, okay. Okay, let me repeat once again. Are the three good roots, renunciation or non-greed, metta or non-hatred, clarity or non-delusion? of the same force as uh, greed, anger, and delusion. Uh, Yes, uh, however, greed, uh, anger, and delusion are extremely forceful to bind us to samsara. Non-greed, non-hatred, uh, non, and non-delusion, meaning uh, generosity, metta, and wisdom. Non-delusion means wisdom. Uh, wisdom and generosity means uh, letting go uh, against uh, delusion and uh, greed. These wholesome roots are as strong or stronger than uh, uh, unwholesome roots. In reality, wholesome roots must be stronger than unwholesome roots in order to destroy unwholesome roots. Otherwise, if they both are equally uh, strong, then there are always remain a tug of war between them. Nobody wins. <coughs> I mean, no part uh, can win. So the wholesome roots must be stronger than unwholesome roots. <coughs> and therefore unwholesome rules will be completely eliminated. Uh, another question. Could you please explain how to, deep, uh, how to deal with uh, resistance to meditation when it arises? Uh, Sometimes people actually uh, face a very big uh, stumbling block to proceed with their practice during meditation. Uh, To break through this uh, uh, resistance, uh, they must uh, uh, stop that particular posture, change the posture, 
and uh, uh, arouse uh, what we call spiritual urgency, uh, thinking that how valuable this life is and how short it is. Or the life is very valuable, unfortunately it is very short. During it, it appears to us to be long, but life is really very short. During this short life, how much time we have spent uh, in eating, drinking, merrymaking and wasting. And how little time we have to gain uh, real peace, real happiness, comfort. How much suffering we have gone through, how much more suffering is there. We don't know how much suffering is there, but we have, we can remember the amount of suffering. So, when we think like this, now we come to a stage to do something about getting rid of our suffering. And then think, uh, then arouse your devotion, faith in the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. Friends, Buddha never cheated us never cheated. He was 100% honest and sincere. And he spoke to us with utmost compassion and wisdom. Through his wisdom and compassion he saw how we can liberate ourselves from suffering. And out of compassion he went out of his way to help us. You know, Buddha slept only two hours a day. Even at the age of 80, he was full of energy. He didn't have to work like this. He was not paid one penny. He did not work for praise or gain. He sacrificed all this purely because he wanted us to understand suffering. And he always said to Bhikkhus, Bhikkhus, do me a favor. Liberate yourself from suffering. When somebody says, do me a favor and liberate yourself from suffering as favor to me, you can understand how much compassion this person has. Out of utmost compassion he said, this is what you should do to respect me. If you want to respect me, liberate yourself from suffering. Don't suffer. That is the favor you do to me. I mean, how can you find any better compassionate statement than that. So, we are following this Buddha's advice, his teaching, and no reason for us to be lazy and resist this practice. We must do everything to follow these footsteps. All we do is for ourselves. We are not doing it for somebody else, but somebody else will benefit later on. 
through our teaching and our behavior. So we have to think like this. This is what I call thinking meditation. I ask people not to use words, but thinking all right. To encourage us to uh, get rid of this kind of resistance. <coughs> Another question. Uh, what is the best uh, routine for meditation practice at home uh, when, when to meditate, how long, for etc. I keep this for tomorrow, for my concluding remarks. And uh, this man will be responsible to remind me. <laughs> <laughs> He is doing thousands of things every day and he said he needs uh, another person of uh, one half of his age <laughs> and two of them of one half of his age have to do the amount of things he is doing every day. He's, he, he does uh, four people's work alone and this is another thing I ask him to do. How is it people can be very good at uh, mindfulness meditation but uh, have not got it in daily life? That also I answer tomorrow. <laughs> because I need something to talk about tomorrow also. <laughs> if I say everything today, I may not have anything to say tomorrow. I find it uh, easier to concentrate on the rising and falling of the uh, stomach than the tip of the nose. Is there any reason why I should uh, uh, switch to the nose? No reason. You don't have to do that. If you are comfortable with uh, uh, focusing mind on the uh, abdomen, uh, you go ahead and do it. I mean, I don't think, I don't say it is totally wrong. Uh, <coughs> when I say it is not totally wrong, you might think that I imply that partially wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't imply that either. Uh, <coughs> if you want to gain concentration, you got to find one single place to focus the mind. If you want to develop insight, abdomen is a very good subject because rising and falling is clear even in the abdomen. So if you feel very comfortable, then go ahead and do it. Next question, how to enjoy all worldly pleasures, that is uh, sensual pleasures or fun and uh, uh, laughter without them uh, becoming, uh, becoming craving or desire? <coughs> Uh, actually, people 
tend to misunderstand when we talk about uh, uh, getting um, carried away with sensual pleasures and uh, even in our you know metta chanting at lunch time we say uh, last sentence of that uh, recital we say uh, removing sensual desires once we never come to womb again <coughs> that is the last thing we do so long as we exist in samsara we definitely people definitely enjoy sensual pleasure nothing wrong with enjoying sensual pleasure uh, there are ten uh, moments every single day to enjoy sensual pleasure ten moments ten situations don't ask me what they are now because it's a <laughs> long time to explain but i simply mention ten not that i cannot but uh, to save time so uh, having a family is a pleasure having children is a pleasure having a spouse or partners is a pleasure and uh, living a good healthy life is a pleasure having good company is a pleasure uh, and so forth all this we must enjoy don't deny don't say that you are you don't deserve pleasure uh, enjoying pleasure is not a sin in buddhism it's a blessing if somebody enjoy pleasure that person has done lot of meritorious deeds in the past that is why the person has the ability to enjoy pleasure now at the same time remember all these pleasures are impermanent don't think the pleasure is permanent while enjoying pleasure as pleasure fades away you let it go don't regret when the pleasure fades away you enjoy pleasure thinking knowing understanding experiencing impermanence and uh, another thing you know when we think of talk about impermanence people feel very gloomy and grumpy and they think this is a very pessimistic not at all it also is a part of our wisdom when we are very wise seeing the reality we enjoy our life so enjoy pleasure with this understanding that is the buddha's advice he has given many sermons to lay people how to live lay life how to perform their duties towards each other how to raise children how to raise families how to relate to wife and husband their uh, partners uh, parents and children connections teachers and students uh, relationship and so forth and so on he has given many many advices to lay people for them to make their life happy as lay people so never feel guilty to enjoy sensual pleasure at the same time don't always try to remain like little children always we grow mature become insightful and understand the reality
<coughs> uh, <coughs> when we meditate, when uh, greed arises, we understand that greed as it is. When hatred arises, we understand it, and so forth. There are a lot of things to say about pleasure, but uh, I restrain myself uh, uh, from getting indulged in sensual pleasure. <coughs> Please, Bhante, could you explain what uh, nimitta is? Nimitta is a technical term. Nimitta means simply a sign. You have a sign board. We can call that is a nimitta to uh, Gaya house. You know, on the road there is a nimitta to Gaya house, meaning signboard. Uh, similarly, when we meditate, uh, your mind becomes calmer and calmer and calmer, relax and relax and relax you again. You become very happy mind is settled and no disturbances, nothing bother you, mind is gaining concentration. And just when you gain concentration, before you attain deep level of concentration, which is called jhana, before you gain that, there will arise a very tiny spark of light. And that light is called nimitta. <coughs> that means as soon as you see this light, this nimitta, next moment you gain concentration. It is the threshold, the entrance to deep concentration. So that sign, that uh, mark, that bright little spark of light is called nimitta. So I am usually quite, uh, quite uh, alert, but in meditation I uh, easily go into a dream state many times. Why is this? What can I do about it? You see, you said you are usually quite uh, alert, quite alert <coughs> when you are not meditating. But in meditation, you easily go into a dream state. Uh, <clears throat> what happens when you come to meditation? You, you assume very comfortable posture. You sit uh, sometimes one cushion, two cushion, three cushion, one cushion <laughs> under your uh, knees, one cushion, uh, both knees, and you uh, sit on two cushions. And uh, very bad. 
you know, there are hindrances. <laughs> this hindrance is not mentioned as a hindrance. This is a very big hindrance now in the West, especially in a very comfortable place. The comfort itself is a hindrance. So sometimes the room is very comfortable, air conditioned in winter, in summer, heat is going on in winter, doors and windows are all closed, no sound coming in, and with all these cushions and everything, very comfortable, very good situation for you to fall asleep. This is not something unusual. When you are not meditating, you are very alert, you are moving around and so forth. You are not sitting in that posture under those circumstances. And therefore, uh, this is, you said it's a dream state. Surely it is a dream state. Uh, not only you fall asleep, you even dream. <laughs> so, <laughs> I suggest as soon as that you come to that stage, you open your eyes, do what some of those things I recommended. Visualize in bright light, uh, pinching your earlobes, uh, standing meditation, walking meditation, washing your face with cold water, and, uh, and so forth. And finally nothing happens, then you have a nap. Some of these things you should do in order to overcome. This is nothing wrong with your meditation. But the uh, mind gets sluggish, uh, sleepy. That's very, very usual, but don't worry. Just do some of those things to overcome that. Another question. Sometimes I sit in meditation and I can uh, simply not be uh, pleasant. My mind keeps uh, wandering of is this uh, still of uh, benefit? <coughs> when your mind is wandering, as I said uh, earlier in my instructions, be mindful of wandering mind. That is exactly what the Buddha says, Sankirtan, Vikirtan Chittam, Vikirtan Chittam Tapajanasi. When mind is uh, wandering, just become aware of the wandering mind without going into details of the subject, the things that the mind is wandering to places, uh, people, uh, events, uh, situations and so forth. Don't bring those things into your mind. Simply become aware of the wandering mind. Uh, <coughs> and then uh, mind gets tired of wandering mind. Another thing I suggested that you start counting. Uh, you breathe in and breathe out, count one, breathe in, breathe out, count two. Like that go up to ten and count down from ten to one. Second time go from one to nine and nine to one third time from 1 to 8, 8 to 1, then 1 to 7, 7 to 1, 1 to 6, 6 to 1, 1 to 5, 5 to 1, 1 to 4, 4 to 1, 1 to 3, so forth, then stay in 1. When you do this, count, this, this counting back and forth, 
again mind can wander. Uh, say you are at uh, seven, uh, mind wanders away. Then all of a sudden you remember, ah, oh, I was counting where I was. <laughs> I was at seven. So you come back to seven. When you come back to seven, you don't remember whether to go from seven to eight or seven to six. <laughs> start all over again. When you do this, your mind will get tired of wandering. This is the way to trick the mind. And then your mind will stay on the breath. Uh, you may try that. When the first method doesn't work, just focus your mind on the wandering mind without taking details into account, try the second method. Another question, is there a role for contemplation in within uh, meditation? That is what I call thinking meditation. Uh, there are situations where we have to think in uh, uh, in Madhyaminika there is uh, there are several discourses. One is called Vitakka Santana Sutta, uh, other is called Vedha Vitakka Sutta. Vedha Vitakka Sutta where Buddha said you divide all your thoughts into two categories mentally. Uh, then uh, when uh, these two categories, one is wholesome category and the other is unwholesome category. When uh, especially unwholesome mental state arises, you replace that particular state with its opposite mental state, wholesome state. So to do that you have to juggle with these two types of thoughts and that's the thinking. Another is um, in Vitaka Santana Sutra there are five methods Buddha, given, Buddha has given. <coughs> there Buddha said Amanasikaraniya Dhamma, Amanasikatabhang, Manasikaraniya Dhamma, Manasikatabhang. Those thoughts that should not be kept in mind should not be brought into the mind. Those thoughts that should be brought into the mind should be brought into the mind. That means there are many types of thoughts which are which are detrimental to your practice of meditation. You should deliberately thinking, deliberating, contemplating, you let them go. And other thoughts you bring into the mind. And there's another sutta called Sabbhasava Sutta, Sutta number two of Madhyaminikaya. Also talks about uh, how to deal with, uh, he has given nine stages, steps in that discourse. Vitaka Santana Sutta, he gave five methods to overcome them by thinking. And there are many other discourses where Buddha talks about thinking meditation. You know, that is why this vipassana meditation is all-encompassing, very big subject, not just focusing mind on the breath all the time. There are many, this is 
this is dynamic meditation, active meditation. When one does not work, use another method to uh, train the mind. Uh, so that is what you should do. Next question. Is mindfulness the same as the practice of vipassana? Uh, vipassana is a uh, uh, Pali word. Mindfulness is English word. I think for better term people use the word mindfulness. Sometimes people call insight meditation. Uh, uh, sometimes people simply use vipassana meditation. Uh, vipassana, insight, mindfulness, and all these are uh, synonymous terms we use. One is Pali, other are English words to denote the same meaning. In the West we are taught to conceptualize and verbalize from a very early age. How do we for living, okay, for living also demand conscious conceptualization. Okay, conscious conceptualization. Okay. I think that is very true. From very childhood we are taught to think and express very clearly in writing and talking. That's very true. That is very true so long as expression is concerned. We have to be very clear, we have to use concepts, ideas and so forth. But in meditation uh, we are not training the mind to uh, uh, build up a skillful concept. Uh, in meditation we totally, we try to clean the mind of all concepts, ideas. Uh, Buddha said, Akkeya Sanjino Satta Akkantasmin Patitta Akkeya Aparinyaya Yogamayanti Machuno. With uh, all living beings, especially human beings, are wrapped up with uh, concepts, ideas, uh, concepts. Uh, names, labels, uh, and they, are, they, are, they themselves, their entire life is established in that. And because they don't understand what the purpose of these the concepts and ideas are, they are always caught in the Mara's net, Yogamayanti Machuno, Machu is the Mara. Yoga means binding, binding by the Mara's net because of the concept. We don't understand the purpose of concept. Uh, 
concept we use only to communicate. Is there any other purpose of concept? We don't use concept to understand. For example, in this direct uh, method of the Buddha, what we call um, uh, direct way, we don't need concept. <coughs> For example, you have a headache. Do you have to say headache, 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 headache to understand headache? No. As soon as headache arises, you know it. So this, this is a directly knowing headache, that particular feeling. When you have hunger, you know hunger, you feel. When you are angry, you don't have to say anger, 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 you feel anger. So, impermanence. In meditation we emphasize impermanence. We don't have to say impermanence, impermanence, impermanence. Some people say, uh, forgive my quoting some teacher's words, uh, among you there may be some who are so used to those uh, teachings. When you lift something you have to say lifting, 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 lifting. When you put it down, keep putting down, putting down, putting down. Like that, you are taught to add more concepts rather than reducing or not using concepts. For example, when you lift your leg, your foot, to walk, honestly speaking, friends, ask yourself, is it necessary for you to say Lifting, 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 to notice lifting. You don't have to say any word. Your mind can directly become fully aware of lifting. All you have to do is to pay total, undivided, mindful attention. Mindful attention is impartial attention. Without saying, I am lifting, I am lifting, I am lifting, or I am moving, I am, without using I am, subject, predicate, sentence, simply pay attention to that very particular action. Action is not a word. Function is not a word. Feeling is not a word. These are experiences. So direct knowledge comes from paying total, undivided, mindful attention to experience. This is called direct knowledge. So, and the Buddha very clearly has stated that uh, uh, naming, uh, conceptualizing, uh, is, uh, Buddha said, uh, uh, name is a boil, name is a, is a, is a thorn, uh, sanya. Uh, sanya is a name, sanya is a thorn, sanya is a boil, sanya is a wound, and so forth and so on. Uh, 
he mentioned. So, labeling is called sanya. Sanya means the sign. Sign. We don't need that. <coughs> I don't have to tell so, so too many things. Uh, I simply urge you just to pay attention to your experiences very mindfully. You will see the truth. Next question. Is it possible to become attached or addicted to meditation practice? I think it is a very good addiction. I urge you to get addicted to meditation. <laughs> when you get addicted to meditation, you will never regret. All other addictions end up in regret, end up in all kind of uh, detrimental effect. But this addiction always brings deeper peace, solace, comfort and happiness. If you were to use the word addiction, you may use it, but addiction has a negative connotation. And therefore the word addiction may not be appropriate for meditation practice. If you find better term to say, this is the wholesome habit that I want to cultivate, I would suggest using that word. That is the word Buddha used. Wholesome habit is kusala sila. Kusala sila. Meditation is a, a wholesome habit. I'm able to uh, observe uh, external uh, phenomena without using labels that is the tree, more easily than internal phenomena. For instance, when uh, greed or anxiety uh, are passing through my mind, I can uh, uh, make easily uh, I can more easily watch them and let them go by labeling them. Should I try to stop choosing labels for uh, a state of mind? That's what I said. I would emphasize that. I don't have to repeat the thing I said already. Uh, when practicing vipassana, I feel less uh, of a sense of uh, personality or uh, egoless uh, dualism. However, when I practice uh, metta, I have a strong sense of myself and uh, others. I become uh, trapped in the image of being somebody 
doing something for others, uh, can you help me or advise me? <coughs> I think we use uh, in practicing uh, metta, uh, we use this uh, conventional term, I. That is why we, we, we even recite the word, may I be well, happy and so forth. Conventional terms we have to use, because this is an expression, we express this. Uh, we cultivate these thoughts uh, to make our mind calm and relaxed and peaceful. When we finish that level, I said metta practice has three levels. This is a verbalizing level, reciting I, me and so forth. Then we think, not in terms of uh, words and so forth, think of the benefit of metta. And the third level is a deeper level where we feel metta. When we come to that level, no words. Feeling is not a word, not a concept, just feel metta. So at first level we use uh, conventional terms, second level we reduce that, and third level we simply feel it. Then, uh, could you comment on counting breath as a way to focus attention, I already mentioned that, and uh, uh, concentration. It is used uh, perhaps in the Zen uh, tradition uh, more. Is it useful in general samatha or inside meditation. As I mentioned, yes, it is useful <coughs> only for that purpose, to bring mind back to your original object. Then, uh, what is this? Uh, normally while meditating I am developing uh, <coughs> I'm developing quite a focused and calm mind. Since yesterday evening, the screaming of the crows, those big black birds, are the only focus of my attention. <laughs> I, am, I am completely confused. It hears and at the same time feels like sitting in the middle of war or hell. Huh? How do I get out of this state? <coughs> One day a group of monks were meditating in a forest and they also heard a lot of birds disturbing their meditation. They all were just like this cross yesterday. 
and they tried and tried and tried to meditate, they could not meditate. Not only you, even monks could not do that. So finally they went to the Buddha and uh, complained to the Buddha. And Buddha said, he gave a very practical advice. Uh, he said, because Three times a day, go and ask these birds to give you one feather. Birds, please give me a feather. You all of you say in the morning, go in the noon, say please give us a feather. In the evening, go and ask, please give us a feather. So they went and asked them to give a feather three times a day. Within a week they all disappeared. So Buddha said, don't ask anybody to give you anything. Then you will chase them away. <laughs> Buddha asked the monks, monks, don't ask people to give you anything. They slowly get tired and go away. Similarly, these birds, even the bird would not stay in the same area if you ask a feather. Feather is not very valuable thing, but even if you ask a feather, from these birds, they will fly away. You may try that. <laughs> <laughs> Problem is, we don't know what language this <laughs> because used to ask the birds to give a feather. They, I believe, did not speak their language. That is not the point. Point is, uh, it is totally different from your problem. Uh, this is recorded in uh, Vinaya, monks' uh, code of discipline. To train the monks and bhikkhus and bhikkhunis uh, to make their life very simple, very humble, it is best not to ask people to give them this and that. people will get tired and they will not stay as members of that monastic community. So, <coughs> when birds, this is different story, when birds make noise, friends, you have no way to stop that. We have to use that noise as an object of your meditation. How? Don't get upset. Look at your mind. I have mentioned in my book, Mindfulness in Plain English. Look at your mind. 
if you keep uh, getting upset, uh, I, I gave an example in my book, suppose you sit to meditate, everything is very difficult, you are struggling, struggling, struggling and just going to get little concentration and a dog bark. Then you keep thinking, this dog, every time I meditate, this dog barks. <laughs> and today I had so much trouble in getting little concentration. As soon as I get little concentration, this dog barks again. Let me go and talk to the man, asking him to stop this dog barking. Then you think, that's too much trouble. Let me call the pound to come and get him. That's too much trouble, I have to find a telephone to call him. Let me go out myself with a club. <laughs> that is again too much trouble. So you keep, you know, debating, thinking, building up, boiling inside yourself. Instead of meditating, what you are doing, you are developing your hatred, your anger, your resentment, your restlessness, your worry. But if we are more sensible, what we should do, even when a dog barks, we understand this is what dogs normally do, not something unusual. Dog is not my enemy to select this time to bark. <coughs> that is his nature. For any tiny little thing some dogs bark. So my duty, my responsibility is to take care of my practice, choosing this dog's sound as an object of our meditation. And with that attitude, if you simply pay attention to the dog's barking, all you see in that barking is rising and falling waves of sounds. Sometimes very harsh sounds, sometimes soft sounds, they all appear and disappear. These birds did not plot <laughs> to disturb your meditation yesterday. <laughs> Nobody sent these birds here to disturb you. That is especially crows. Uh, they crow. <laughs> no particular time, no particular, you know, thing. They have their own way, their nature is that. So, don't pay attention to those things. Simply use, this is what the Buddha said always, parimukhaṁ satiṁ upattapetta so sato sati keeping the mind in the present moment. In the present moment you hear a sound. Because of our natural, habitual way of thinking, we get disturbed. And that is the very thing we must look at. 
why we are disturbed? Because inside we have resentment, we have anger. And these innocent birds, they have done nothing to us. They normally, you know, crow, make noise and so forth. Not only you go to a forest, you can hear crickets, you can hear uh, birds, um, other animals are making noise. If you were to stop all these things and get angry with all these things, you can never meditate. Buddha asks us to go to uh, go to a forest, foot of a tree. Foot of a tree is in a forest, which is full of all kind of animals, and they make noise. Buddha knows that. So use the sound as an object. You try that. Perhaps yesterday you did not try that. Uh, you upset. <coughs> so my suggestion is, you know, I am not talking these things from theories, from book knowledge, but I have gone through all these things in my life. I heard this verse myself. I was sitting here. It did not bother me at all. My meditation went on as smoothly as it normally goes. When somebody told me that there was a, and he said there was a big battle, they are murder birds. Uh, they are murdering other birds and so forth. I never thought that way, I never heard that uh, kind of uh, negative uh, uh, sound from their birds. I used it as a, my object of meditation. Immediately I was able to continue my practice in a usual way. So friends, this is not an, any kind of uh, boasting or exaggeration, this is the truth. You may try it. Next time when you hear sound, use all your might, all your energy. So even now, you know at Bhavana uh, we have a little pond. In summer there are very big frogs. And these frogs make a lot of croaking. Croaking, right? Very big. It's very, uh, you know, frog's noise is uh, very unpleasant. <coughs> and we meditate. We have to open windows in summer and uh, we have outside meditation uh, facilities, sit outside and meditate. We always hear something. And nobody complains. Uh, so we learn to use these environmental things as objects of our meditation to understand the very fundamental truth of impermanence of... I was mentioning this, maybe a hundred times I have mentioned this, impermanence. In Vipassana meditation, impermanence. Try to see impermanence in everything. You will be very comfortable.
Another question. You said uh, <coughs> you said that one should extend metta friendliness to all persons. I have a difficult situation with <coughs> with somebody whom I am advised to be indifferent towards, how best should I proceed? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I have a difficult... Uh, situation with uh, with somebody are uh, indifferent. When we practice metta, uh, we don't uh, focus the mind on someone whom we don't like. We don't start with such a person. <coughs> uh, we practice metta to ourselves, then our loved ones, and then our uh, all indifferent persons, and then finally we go to uh, our so-called adversaries or whom you don't like. For example, you practice metta to yourself and practice, 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 and you completely filled and saturated with the very metta practice. Your whole mind and body is filled with it. Then you bring all your loved ones, uh, your parents, relatives, friends, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, spouses, and so forth and so on, whomever you like, put them into second category and practice, 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 practice. Not once or twice, but spend some time practicing metta, sending deliberately metta thought to them. And then you bring the largest category of beings, I mean enormous amount of incalculable number of beings living in the whole universe, practicing, 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 practicing metta to them. Then, finally, you may, your mind and body become so relaxed and so comfortable, you may think, what the heck, let me practice metta to my adversaries. then it is very easy to send metta to that person as well. Because after all, having practiced metta towards all beings, you are already relaxed and comfortable and so forth. Easily you can forgive that person. Another thing, uh, when you know somebody has done something very mean, meanest thing in the world, 
then you have to think, well, you even actually feel very sorry for that person to be mean because that person has committed very, very unwholesome karma and that person definitely will suffer for that bad karma. So you got to have a lot of patience, a lot of compassion for that person. You know, when uh, the (coughs) 9-11 incident took place in the United States, thousands of people were killed instantly and so many property damage, the whole world affected. when something happened in the United States, because uh, uh, it's a very powerful thing uh, within the country itself, uh, you know the circumstances and so forth. So, uh, I wrote a letter and published in papers and uh, internet. I said, even those uh, criminals deserve our metta because they have committed very, very bad karma and they are going to suffer for that karma here and hereafter. Of course, those victims deserve our metta, victims and their relatives and so forth. So when we, when we come to metta practice, there is no enemy, no good person, no bad person. Everyone is equal. Uh, so uh, when it comes to metta practice, please don't uh, try to select uh, whom to practice metta, whom not to practice metta. This is not uh, uh, selected uh, few, what uh, uh, you practice we send metta to selected few people. We have indiscriminate, indiscriminate practice, boundless practice. Uh, therefore, uh, you got to start with the positive way. I think I... Um, Mention it, I think, this morning, I think, when I was giving metta instruction. Our neighbor, when we established the bhavana, the, as soon as we bought the land, we went around our neighbors, uh, introducing ourselves to them. So our neighbor was standing on his land, there was no fence just open land. So he was standing on his land, we are on our land. My friend introduced himself and me to him and said that we are going to be bought this land, we are going to start a meditation center. And then I very naively told him, well, when we start the meditation center, whenever you have time, come and meditate with us. (laughs) Then he said, you do bloody damn thing you want. I am a good Christian. That was the introduction. 
from that day onward, for seven years, Vinim is seven years, he did everything possible to make our stay there impossible. Throwing rocks, shooting guns and asking children to throw rocks and calling us name, asking us to go home and uh, damaging our mailbox five times. We remove, we replaced our mailbox. What we have now is the fifth mailbox. <laughs> First, he would shoot, then we put duct tape and use it, then he would club the mailbox and smash it, and still we use it, then he put uh, dog's excrement inside. When the mailman puts, he does not know that he put mail, when you go, when you go to get mail, it's very stinky. <laughs> so finally, he would uproot my our mailbox and throw away. And our signboard on our land would remove a uh, large signboard, not only removed and took away. But tell them that it was called Dharma Village. Yeah. And as soon as we bought the property, we put a sign saying we had a very uh, ambitious uh, uh, project. We put a sign called Dhamma Village. <laughs> Dhamma Village. Couple of months later we came back and we saw Dhamma Village has turned into Dam Village. <laughs> <laughs> While they were doing that, he had four children, little children, uh, in one winter. It was very cold, a lot of snow. They are poor people. They didn't have even enough firewood to heat their home. So we went to him and said, we have a big fallen tree on the ground, come, cut it and take the firewood to heat up your home because uh, you and your children need some heat. So he came with a chainsaw, cut the tree, took the firewood even without looking at our face. That's how we treated. We never had uh, any resentment towards him, we always sent metta to him. Our neighbors, everybody came to know about it. This man spread the news that we were eating his dog. <laughs> he said, uh, he said he lost seven dogs since he. <laughs> Somebody said uh, to his wife, don't tell blatant lies, they are vegetarians. <laughs> <laughs> then she said, uh, but they kill our dog to sacrifice. <laughs> Although they are vegetarians, they sacrifice our dog. 
so so after seven years what happened they divorced husband went to florida wife uh, stayed home and children grew up scattered here and there one boy went to the navy and after two years he returned and came to our place and he said he went to the navy and learned buddhism and found buddhism to be a very peaceful religion and he said he was he felt very guilty and apologized to us he said as a little boy i did whatever i did because my father asked us to do what we did now i feel very bad about it and i apologize to you he said so now no more trouble so friends metta always pay or pays off you never should regret and you try to practice it i have mentioned many many things in my writings in my mindfulness in planning is last chapter is on my practice my experience that took place in getwick airport in england uh, you read it and you will see that i don't want to mention it and uh, i find it quite easy feeling metta towards others but not so uh, easy for myself i was uh, uh, abused as a child and this has left deep uh, mental scars even though i have uh, forgiven others i still do not have uh, do not love myself uh, how am i practice metta for myself you know if you are abused by somebody you have no reason to reason not to practice metta to yourself that is the very reason for you to practice metta to yourself because you are a victim uh, so uh, and also you have done very wonderful thing by forgiving them for abusing you uh, that itself is a wonderful quality you have within yourself and that is also another reason for you to practice metta towards yourself because you have wonderful quality noble quality to forgive somebody who offended you who abused you somebody who practice metta must have these qualities so you are very good uh, candidate for metta practice for yourself all you have to do is to do more of that relax more and uh, feel that you are you are very gentle you are soft hearted you are compassionate why don't you practice metta towards yourself these are the good qualities for somebody to practice metta to oneself so <clears throat> you may say to yourself every day what we recite here in our metta practice repeat these passages every day before you go to bed every day and with these thoughts you go to sleep
and you feel any time you wake up at night you feel very relaxed and comfortable and peaceful next morning when you wake up you still feel very relaxed practice metta again towards yourself and you must think your metta helps you to help others so for the sake of yourself as well as for others try to practice metta to yourself all you have to do is to think repeat these words and feel metta even by force you try to practice it will not work you know, in one two three four days but eventually it definitely works you begin to feel the benefit of metta you feel you feel how relaxed how comfortable you are you will be wonderful friend to yourself please don't uh, hesitate to practice metta don't be too harsh towards yourself don't punish yourself you have no reason to punish yourself and as i said uh, as you mentioned in your writing uh, you have already forgiven the offenders so now you have to forgive yourself you have no reason to forgive yourself because you are not the uh, criminal you are a victim <clears throat> how do i uh, practice metta and uh, forgiveness towards the person who murdered my father Uh, as i said the one who murdered your father also deserves your metta because that person definitely is suffering now and will suffer in future uh you should uh, practice metta towards your father who is no longer living is born somewhere and in this new life he should you should practice metta new life to live full life without facing untimely death as he did here at the hand of this murderer that way you can practice metta towards your father and practice metta towards the murderer for his suffering because he is uh, suffering and also we have to think somebody who is committing that kind of very very heinous crime uh is sick one has to be very sick to kill somebody when somebody is sick do do normally we hate such a person no when somebody is sick we try to help the person so we consider this person is a sick person we try to send we don't do don't have to do anything physically at least we can send metta to him uh, who is now suffering <coughs> uh, friends i can answer one or two questions because there are so many others i am also losing my voice 